Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. And I want to say that before we get started, these were really, really good questions. Really, really good questions. And so we're going to kind of answer these as we go, and we're going to do it kind of in a town hall format where we have limited time because we want to get through these and also maybe uh, talk about the questions that you may be submitting throughout the, the time. Uh, and so the first here, you okay? I'm just sorry. I just wanted people to be hydrated up here. Okay. So <laughs> the first question that we have is this. What is the difference between an immature spouse and an unequal yoke? Immature spouse and unequal yoke. Well, when Tammy and I first got married, we were equally yoked because we were both heathens. I mean, so we were, we were completely one. We were yoked. Oh, we were yoked. But, uh, and, you know, further into our relationship, uh, we were married, Tammy found Jesus uh, at the time that uh, she was pregnant with Megan. And I didn't yet. And so, um, so the idea of that is what the idea of unequally yoked means. You can look at in 2 Corinthians, I believe it's in chapter 6, might be verse 14, talks about this idea of not being together spiritually in, in a relationship. And it's a really difficult thing to be because one person is going forward and one person is in neutral. The Bible in that scripture talks about being unequally yoked. And if you know what a yoke is, it's what you put over two oxen so that they pull in unison and they're pulling together. When you're not equally yoked, you got one person going this way, one person going another way. Yeah. And so it makes the relationship difficult. I know it's a challenge because it was a challenge for me when I got saved and Dwight did not. And so I just really struggled with um, seeking out praying for him, and I did. I continued to pray and pray, and I only knew what little bit I knew of the Bible, but I do know early in, in, in seeking God, this scripture in Proverbs jumped out at me, and it was Proverbs 27, 15. A quarrelsome wife is as annoying as a constant dripping of a rainy day. Because every morning I got up and said, oh, going to church with me, going to church with me. And I read that scripture. And I, as a, and as a baby Christian, I remember the Lord saying to me, you need to stop asking. Let me be the Holy Spirit. See, sometimes we want to be Holy Spirits for our spouses. Mm. And I stopped at that day. It worked. God worked in him. I didn't have to do the work. But it was a challenge. But yet I didn't stop praying for him. And he came along. And, and I can remember the prayer that I prayed. As, as a baby Christian I was, I said, God, he is a fanatical for sports. Will you make him that fanatical for Jesus Christ? Mm. And when God, you got to know what you're praying because he got radical. I thought, sweet Jesus, this man <laughs> is wild. Yeah. And I wasn't going to be able to deal with it. But that's the truth. God's faithful. Keep praying. Don't give up. If your spouse is not where you want them to be, hang in there. Don't give up. Mm. Anybody else want to add to that question? Well, I would, I would all, we, you know, we didn't, in the context, understand whether it was immature, like in spiritually, spiritually or immature in decisions and choices. But if it's a situation where this, it's a spiritual immaturity between the husband and the wife, you know, there's, the Bible says that don't, disp don't despise small beginnings. And so you have to always look yeah. at the situation with hope. And you have to just continue to be in the Word and, and raise, you know, the spouse that's growing faster. Be thankful that you're growing faster. Yeah. Be thankful for that. Yeah. And be thankful that the other spouse is growing at whatever pace. Because when you, when you take that tact, if you will, uh, then you'll, you'll live in hope, mm. and you won't live in the despair. So here's a follow-up question to that. Follow-up question is, can you have a healthy marriage if you are at differing maturity levels? <laughs> We've seen it. 
and and it can happen mm-hmm. um and so it really depends on the the maturity of the believer actually yeah and you know and not being afraid to be who they are and to keep moving forward and uh and allowing the other person to catch up you know uh you know in the military term we say no no soldier left behind but in the marital form of that is you know no spouse left behind yeah you know this is the person that you've committed your life to and so to to help them along enjoy your run so many people who are in that situation they get so stressed out about their spouse not being where they are and they lose hope and and hope is not something that you lose hope is something that god gives and so embrace the hope that god gives and continue to believe for your spouse you know, I remember Ignacio Guevara saying he was praying for all of his family members. It took him 71 years, thank God he lived to be in his 90s, until every family member uh, came to Christ. But it was 71 years wow. of praying for one of them. And I, I can't think the scripture off my head, maybe one of you guys can, about I won Dwight by my actions. It was not me preaching at him. Mm-hmm. That wasn't working real well for me. In, in fact, it drove a wedge between us. But when I read the scripture about winning my husband by my actions, that made the difference. Um, that he seen really the Jesus was in my action. It wasn't just in my words. And I also think that what's really important when it comes to this follow-up question uh, of differing maturity levels is I've, it can work as long as you're in agreement about the direction you're heading. And I think that's part of it, is that if there's a disagreement about you know, your faith, if there's a disagreement about you know, the, the goal in which you have for your marriage and your parenting and all those things, those are gonna cause the tension and friction. But if you're in different maturi- maturity levels, but you're in agreement about that direction you're heading, I think that that's, that's where it can work. Okay, another question, this is a parenting one. How do we keep the balance between wisely monitoring our child's peer influences and giving them enough personal space. You want me, all right, I'll jump on that one. Okay, so first and foremost, personal space is earned through being responsible, to, being, to adhering to what mom and dad is saying. Um, the other reality is that personal space is not necessarily something that little kids are thinking about. This is something that comes with age. When the kids get into their teenage years, they want their personal space, they want their, their, their own space. But I think, as I said earlier, that's something that you earn. That's, some, that's, that's Allison and I's approach in our home, is that if Gideon, who's a, teen, you know, it, it, he's a teenager right now, he's 11, but he's on the verge of that, and he does want his personal space, but that's something that he has to earn through being responsible when we give him the freedom to have that space. If he's irresponsible in that space, then no, you don't get that. But the other thing that you have to have as parents is you have to discern the motive of your kids. Do they want the, do they want the personal space because they don't want you to know what they're doing when you're not around? Or do they want that personal space because they just want to practice independence and practice a little bit of freedom? Yeah, I think it comes, like Pastor Caleb said, with maturity, but also... This is my philosophy. If you're not paying for any of it, then it's all mine. And so if you didn't buy that cell phone, then that's my cell phone. And I at any point can look at what you're looking at. Um, You did not buy that game system. So I have access to go through everything that you, who you're talking to and seeing your friend list. And if you have a problem with that, then you can you know, do that with, um, when you move out. So, (laughs) um, that, and even, uh, mom and dad, we were raised that way. Like they at any point had free access to say, Hey, let me do a phone check. And we didn't know when it was. And so we had to, you know, hand over the phones and they got to look through every text message, every picture. There wasn't apps back then. That was the beginning of the flip phone. But um, that is my philosophy. If it is in my house, then I have full access to everything that you are um, involved in. And I think the unscheduled checks um, are going to give your kids that accountability of mom and dad may, you know, look at this or see this anytime. And I think that's a healthy fear that your kids need to have as well. But I think establishing, again, 
we talked about, like, here are our expectations. If this is crossed, this will be your consequence. Yeah. So that they know beforehand, if mom and dad see this, you know, like, it will be removed. You know, whatever you and your family decide on the, the consequences, but just being up front with, um, you know, what will, what will occur. And, you know, the one thing that we wanted to acknowledge is that some of these answers may be things you're already doing. They may be things that you're already thinking. And we're just here to encourage and affirm that, affirm that you're on the right track. And if your kids get mad, you can blame it on us. <laughs> well, hey, the pastor said this is the way it's going to be. Does anybody want to add to these? Okay, let's hit the third question. Is there any hope for someone who's chosen poorly and was deceived by their spouse? Well, there's always hope in Jesus, right? Like, um, I think sometimes, I think the reality is if maybe you were deceived, it is okay to have a grieving process, mm. right? Like, you almost have a death of a, a dream or expectation, you know, mourn that, but don't stay there, right? Like, you have to move on, accept who the person is, and... Uh, like Pastor Tammy had said, like you love them through your actions and people are won over. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, right? It's not the nagging that no one nagged ever was like, oh, yes, I want to change. Like it's only going to, you yeah. know, further drive a wedge, but it's through kindness. Yeah. And yes, there's always hope because of Jesus. There's actually a website that I, you know, for anyone who was thinking about that question, uh, Focus on the Family has a website literally called Restored Hope, and it's about that, and so it's restored.focusonthefamily.com, and it is a place that you can go to to get resources. You can get, get, actually get connected with their um, reconciliation ministry in that department. So, yeah. I just want to make a quick statement about the word deceived. Um, <clears throat> deceived can have a couple of things there. Were you deceived because you just didn't have your eyes open spiritually? You were looking for something else? Um, that is one, one thing of dealing with it. But if you're deceived and now you're really angry because you're, you were deceived because that person did something, then that becomes a heart issue as well for you that you have to work through and ask forgiveness for in order to, to be the one to have the prayers that will last and make a decision. Mm. So it becomes a heart issue as well. Yeah. And there's a story in the Bible about a, a prophet who was, you know, his mother's and dad's pride and joy, and God told him to marry a harlot to create a point. And what God did in that man's heart was love her even when she betrayed him, and he had to go and pay a price to redeem her. Mm. Yeah. It, and demonstration of God's love. And yeah, so yeah. there's, you know, there's no situation that is hopeless. Yeah. There's absolutely no situation that's hopeless. Yeah. But we, just like we have to respond to the little ripples that God will send our way, it does require our response. Yep. And when, uh, you know, when we use a word like rekindle, it means there was something there to begin with. And so oftentimes we forget what originally attracted us to the person that we are ultimately with. And even in relationships of 10, 20, and 30 years, you know, sometimes we lose the concept of what brought us together in the first place. And uh, uh, so when you get to the place to where you're losing hope, I would encourage you to try to rekindle something that brought you together in the first place and then use that as a building block. We, we got to continue to build yeah. on, on. So that's what that's what brings hope. First of all, Jesus is where our hope rests. Yeah. Our hope is built on nothing less yep. than Jesus blood and righteousness yeah. and so let that be your your platform go back to what originally brought you together where you fell in love and try to refashion something from that point yeah. okay so i know this is a desperate question and i understand that yeah and so let's take what you have and then begin to build off of mm -hmm. it okay yep next question parenting what limits should we observe in protecting our children from inconveniences, discomforts, etc., to avoid making them too soft? I think that's a legitimate question. 
And the reason why it's a legitimate question is because um, we have a tendency in life to want to protect our kids from pain, from unnecessary pain. But there's something that I think is really interesting. It's called the adversity paradox. Does anybody know what the adversity paradox is? It's this. It's that which developed adversity in you, if you prevent your kids from experiencing that, you rob them of the same adversity being developed in them. So, yes, we want to avoid and we want to prevent our kids from certain experiences that can be painful and can hurt them, but you actually have to figure out that which you need to push and you need to prod and you need to, to, to uh, uh, encourage them to persevere through because if you don't, then you develop, your kids grow up and they have no ability to persevere or handle any sort of adversity. And it's because all you've done is sheltered and prevented them from any, any forms of pain. And so, <clears throat> you know, one of the things I always appreciated about my dad was like, if I wanted to quit a sport, he's like, you ain't, you ain't quitting. Why? Because that's where you're developing adversity and you need that later in your life. And so we, it, it, we're actually doing a disservice to our kids when we prevent them from, from experiencing any forms of adversity, any forms of pressure, because that mu muscle doesn't get developed. James 2, or 1, 2 and 4 says, uh, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Sometimes what I see with parents is perseverance is trying to finish its work in your kids, but you intervene to stop it because it's too painful. You have to let it run its course because that's how the maturity gets developed. And so. Romans chapter 5 says the exact same thing in, in Romans 5, 1 through 5. And, you know, we need to all have these things tucked away in our heart. Yeah. One of the most disappointing things for me is, uh, and this started really in parents of our generation, but it has intensified even more in the next generation of parents. You forget what made you who you are. Yep. You know, when Tammy and I would go through our checkbook, our check, old checks, we did this one time, we'd have checks for $7.17 to Super Duper in Athens. And that was three packs of hot dogs, six boxes of macaroni and cheese, and uh, a bag of potatoes. And I learned how to make a, a macaroni and cheese and hot dog casserole <laughs> with baked beans like you'd never experienced. I forgot the baked beans. But $7.37, I remember driving home and my mom would give us like two boxes of Ho-Ho's and a bag of Mike Sells potato chips. But you know what? Tammy and I are who we are because of those moments. We think because yeah. we have the money to not have our kids experience what we, ex this is what made us who we are. Right. This is what made you who you are. Why do you want to rescue your children, especially married children, from having the experiences that you had when you always bail them out financially? Yeah. They're, they're like a butterfly who's in the cocoon, and you realize if you peel that cocoon for that butterfly and help it out, it will never be able to fly. Yeah. It, it will never fly. It's that strengthening of the butterfly's wings of pushing it out right. of that cocoon. Please do not help a butterfly out of there. And, you're, and when we help our kids too much, they lose what we learned by having nobody to rescue us as well. It's not a mean thing. It's a reality thing. Some, some lessons in life have to be learned the hard way. And if there's no difficulty, there's, there's no perseverance. And if there's no perseverance, there's no character, there's no hope, there's all those things that go along with those scriptures. And, and this is about uh, developing healthy boundaries with your kids. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where, where it, would, it would do us all good to sit down and determine how are we going to help, and then where's the line? Where's the line where we say, we're helping up to this point, but you need to be able to help yourself beyond that point? and developing some clarity with your kids about those types of things, you know, uh, so that they know what to expect and what's coming. Yeah. Just real quick, 
as Christians, many times we want to put our kids in a Christian bubble mm -hmm. and protect them from the evilness of the world, which is counterproductive to our directive right. to go into all the world right. and to make disciples. You cannot be in a protected bubble and never know what the world is experiencing, thinking, doing, and even sometimes um, awareness of all those things because they're so protected that you know when they get to be college age and they go off to college, suddenly they don't know how to deal with the world around them and they, and they quickly succumb to that. It's better to train them up to go through this. Um, okay. Um, one of the things that Dwight says is that at one season, my kids have had all three. They've been homeschooled, they've been in Christian school, and they've been in public school. And each one we were directed by God at the timing of God to do that. And one of the challenges was is, is Dwight had to trust God at a whole new level, taking them out of um, Christian school. It was something I wanted and really felt we needed to do. It took him a year to be released because, see, he was the spiritual leader of our home. I did not agree with him, but I submitted to it and said, that's fine. Whenever God speaks to you to release them, let's do it. The timing when God spoke to him was perfect when we put them in public school. My kids still faced things in the Christian school that they faced in the public school. Mm -hmm. It just kind of isn't as pronounced. It's not talked about. Yeah. Yes. And so that yeah. was what I'm assuming you wanted me to share. Yes, and it took me a year to get the revelation. Actually, Tammy came to, to me and said, Dwight, God has shown me we have got to get these girls out of this bubble. They need to be in public school. How are they going to reach the world if mm. we insulate them from everything? Yeah. And so we did that, and the three girls even said, Dad, Mom, that's the best thing you ever did for us. Mm -hmm. And they held their own in Christian school. As a matter of fact, Allison broke a lot of hearts at Reynoldsburg High School because guys would want to come and date her. Yes, she, she did. Yeah. Yes, she did. <laughs> and you know what she said? She said, no, my dad doesn't allow us, me to do that. So she just, yeah, she put it back on me. And uh, so I'd have to go work out at the gym and hear from my guy at the gym. It's like, hey, what's the deal with your, your daughter not wanting to date my son? It's like, that's right. Our girls don't date anybody. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, well, you broke my, she broke my son's heart. It's like, not my problem. Yeah. <laughs> that's your problem, not my problem. Uh, I want to say we are, we are getting your questions. I'm trying to figure out the best place to interject those things. And there's one right now that's really fitting for this conversation. What will you say to those that didn't do it correctly with their children and now their children are grown? So what do you, what do you do in that situation? You move forward. Yep. You, you, there's nothing you can do about yesterday. Yeah. That's why I say do everything you can today. Do it right and do it over and over again because that sets up tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But you cannot go back and restore what happened in those days. What you can do is you could go back and apologize to your kids. Yep. This is a great visual. You know what, you guys, you know, I am so sorry that I did not, you know, raise you guys more uh, firmly or more in a Christian ideology or that, and that's a great idea to go. You know, one of the most powerful things is the apology of a parent yep. to the kids. You know, this is my time. I always say, those of you who are perfect, raise your, or those of you who are the most humble, raise your hand. You know, we used to do this around our dinner table with the girls. But uh, that's right. Allison would always win. That's right. <laughs> but go back and apologize. You know, try to restore, bring restoration to that, but move forward. Always need to move forward. Okay, apologize for what you can, ask forgiveness for what needs to be forgiven, and then show by the actions of even your adult children, because now they can come to you for advice, they, and you can give them good advice. This can be a, a new team effort. And for remember, you and that's, their kids. that's the phase you're, you're, you're in with your adult kids. You're in the, yeah. the friend phase yeah. of, of parenting, yeah. and friends have influence, yeah. right? Uh, we, we have the, the phrase, show me the people you associate in the books or associate with the books you read, and I'll tell you who you'll be in five years. You're still, you still have the opportunity with your adult children to have friends, and with being a friend, there's influence, and 
the, 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 the difficulty is realizing that you're not necessarily on the giving side, you're now on the receiving side, and you have to wait for the door to open to be able to share those things that are influential with them. That's right. And that's where it's hard, is because we go from this phase where we're instructing and rearing and training, and then they graduate and they become adults, and then we want to have the same behavior, and we can't. That closes them off. And so it's a long haul praying for the opportunities to be able to share you know, in that place. But I also will say this, that adult children will grow in appreciation for you once they go through what you went through. And the door will be more open. They'll begin to understand, man, mom and dad were like this when they were, and then now you're in that place and you're like, wow, I get it now. And so it's a, it's a whole new, uh, new phase to get into. Just real quick, prayer. <clears throat> you know, most of the time people go to prayer because you have nothing else left. Yeah, right. exactly. And you're in a hard place and you want God to do something. But in these times, no matter what age your kids are in, this is the time to spend the most time in prayer because it's prayer that will open the doors. It's prayer that will change the heavenlies over your kids. It's the prayer that will push back the satanic uh, influences in the present. I mean, we have the opportunity to bind and loose. If they have, uh, whether it's people at school or teachers or whatever the environment, whatever's going on, we have that authority to shut the mouth of those people who are speaking into things. And um, prayer needs to be one of the first go-tos. Yeah. yeah. Another question came in for um, house. Oh, go ahead. Can you repeat the question again? Yeah. Um, what would you say to those that didn't do it correctly with their children and their children are grown? Oh, yeah. The, I was thinking, like, you don't ever stop learning and growing, right? Like, I'm not the same mom like year one that I am year 11, right? Like, and when we were married, like I'm not the same person that Caleb married 15 years ago, you know? Like, so to let your kids know that you're always growing, you're yeah. always changing, like making that something that is talked about and just like, we're not the same people and we keep growing. And like Pastor Wright was saying, like rekindling that fire in your marriage, right? Like, cause I'm, like I said, like I'm not the same person. So like studying your spouse and getting to know them cause they're different. Like, who women are before their moms is different than after their moms. What, they, what their needs are are going to be different. Their love languages are going to change. Like your kids too. Like, yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Like, yes, I parent, you know, Zeke may be different than getting. I'm not the same person I was back then. You know, like just being humble and honest with that. Like, I'm sorry if, you know, you didn't like that. I'm, you know, I learned and I grew. You know, just letting your kids know that you never outgrow learning and changing. Mm -hmm. Okay, another question. For a house that is built on Christian fundamentals, the Bible Jesus, explain to me why I would ever teach my children to be Buckeye fans. I think the question is clear. I think the answer is clear. Do they want to get in That the scarlet represents the yeah, blood exactly. of Jesus. And so why would you ever not? Is it not? The scarlet is the blood. Are you not washed in the blood? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah here below on that. So here's another one. If you have already bailed out an adult child and they have refused to grow up is there any hope that the situation can be rectified i will answer that the prodigal son they need sometimes they need to be in the pigsty so the question then is is there any hope to that that situation can be rectified i think you need to be in control of yourself how are you going to be respond how are you going to respond when they return is it going to be i told you so or is it going to be with open arms? Because if we see anything modeled in that parable, sometimes the pigsty is where they come to their senses. Right. And so, anybody want to add to that? Just with that, going back to prayer, in those places, it's the prayer that makes the difference. And in that story, yep. it says that when he was in the pigsty, the, he, he came to understand his eyes were open. Yep. And how did that happen? That was a, a revelation of the spirit realm mm -hmm. that comes from prayer. That dad was praying. Amen. And, and you know, so often, you, and this is why we overdo for our kids, because we think, number one, we're living through them too much. Yeah. And number two, everything they do is a total reflection of who you are. Right. You know, there are parents that we have all seen parent biblically, perfectly, lovingly, and their kids took a left turn. Yeah. They, they just didn't want anything to do with that. That's right. something, 
uh, got in the way in the in the process, and and so and then they beat themselves over the head. What what could I have done? What should I have done? What could I have done better? And sometimes there's nothing you could have done. Right. And and every child is a little different. But again, you know, this reverts back to that when we trip over what we did yesterday, we have no hope to move forward tomorrow. And God is out here in your future. Yeah. And, and you just need to continue to trust him and know that as Betty says, you keep praying, you keep loving, you keep serving, you keep doing what godly people do, then you watch and see. It might take five years, 10 years, or 15 years. But when it does happen, be ready to receive that with open arms. Yeah. Okay, so, next question. How do you forgive your spouse of their past and move forward? Well, this would be easy. My wife could answer this one because <laughs> I've, I've messed up many times. Yeah. So, and she's forgave me. So anyway, I'm not putting any pressure on <laughs> Anybody want to jump on that? Because, I, I, I mean, I'm not afraid to admit I've, I've not been perfect my, my whole marriage. And the challenge is it's a daily thing sometimes. It's a daily thing. You choose to forgive. Yeah. There's times that I didn't want to forgive, but I had to choose to forgive. And some of times it was just saying I forgave. And as you work through it, it begins to connect from the head to the heart. Mm. And at some point you have to drop the scorecard. Yeah. You have, if you've forgiven somebody for something, then you gotta let it go. But, you know, as soon as a whiff of it comes back around, you want to say, oh, here we go again. It's like you cannot, you got to lose the here we go again because you said you forgave them, but you really didn't. And there's the, there's the so, phrase that I think is also true. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting someone it. else to die from yes. it. And it's only killing you. But I think the other thing is that we will use in marriage relationships, we will use unforgiveness as control that's right to try to to manipulate the other person here's the problem you may get behavior change but that's you right. don't get heart transformation that's right and so you may be able to to dictate their behavior through leveraging your unforgiveness against them for a while but that will wear out that that actually is the definition of religion is when when there's control involved to try to control someone's right. behavior you need heart transformation and god is the only one that can do that and so we need the intervention of God there, not to try to weaponize our unforgiveness as a way of controlling the other person. Right. Yeah. And if you yeah, go yeah. to the root of forgive, we forget then, if we can't forgive our spouses or whoever it is in our life, then we can't model Christ because 100%. Christ yeah. is the one who forgave everything since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. And we're to be many Christ's. And so how can I decrease so he can increase? Forgive. Yeah. And forgiveness is not forgetting, right? Right. And I was going to say along with that is that um, you may always remember it, yep. but only Jesus Christ can take the pain away from it. Right. I'm not saying that it didn't happen. I'm not null and voiding it, but only Jesus can take the pain of the situation away but you might remember it, but the pain goes. Yeah. And it is trusting Jesus Christ through it all. Yeah. There is no way. I mean, Dwight talks about forgiving him. Hey, early in our marriage, I threw a glass ashtray at him. I mean, <laughs> you know, and it, it's those, that's reality. He, thank God he ducked. It was one of those big, thick gold ones. People my age know, right? But you know what? That was growing. I wasn't mature yet in that. It's a process. I am still growing to be a better wife, a better mother. Mm -hmm. And if she would have been in the Olympic for the women's discus competition, <laughs> she'd have won. Trust me, <laughs> she'd have won that day. Uh, just simp This is a short answer. Can you explain exactly what forgiveness is and how we do it? And we've talked a little bit about that, but I, I think it's... Rick, Betty? Yeah. You have to take the biblical view God says when he puts our sins under the blood he also puts them in the sea of his forgetfulness mm -hmm. and you know we're great to claim the the blood over the sin but we're not so easily to put them in the sea of forgetfulness mm -hmm. and that's a process 
it, it may never get easy, but it'll always be a process. And so, and then we have to, you know, we have to love the way Christ loved us. You know, if we talk about it in the Bible. I, I've got to love Betty the way Christ loved me. Mm. Well, then I've got to look at me first, you know, and I've got to look at where I've messed up and where I've failed and, you know, where I've done, you know, probably horrible things, you know, and then, okay, and so, God, you forgave that? Okay. And I can remember a time we were bickering about something, and I don't know what it was. It doesn't, doesn't matter what it was. But I was hearing her, and I was being respectful in the sense I was not trying to argue my point. And I, I, but I was making my way to escape the marriage. I said, I'm done. I'm out of here. I just got to figure a way to get out and divide the property and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit said to me, you would throw this away, everything away over this? And that was a scary thing, number one, because I heard it as if somebody said it in my ear. Mm. And then I had, a, I had a moment to, I had to decide. And then I, I evaluated and I was like, well, no, I shouldn't throw this away over this, over this. Mm. And then I wanted to smile, and it wasn't the time to smile. And so, you know, I just continued to listen, and eventually I told my wife about it. But the fact is that when we listen to the Holy Spirit, He will instruct us. Yeah. Okay, I want to... Do you mind if I just take just one more second here? Yeah. I, want, I think every, everybody should read Romans 12 and verses 9 through 21. You know, there's something in this text that is so powerful. The one thing is, is if I'm loving Tammy, expecting something in return, I've missed the whole boat. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he hung knowing that there were going to be millions and billions of people throughout history that were going to reject him, but he hung there anyway. And so... If I'm loving Tammy, expecting something in return, I'm always going to be disappointed. Yeah. That's not the way G Jesus loved us unconditionally. I just want to love her because she's amazing, she's valuable, I'm head over heels about her. I don't care if she does anything for me. I'm going to continue to love her if I get nothing in return. Yeah. And so loving without any conditions attached to it is powerful. Well, but see, part of that, is what Jesus said of the woman that um, was washing his feet. She said, he said of her, whoever is forgiven much, loves yes. much. And it was her awareness of her own need forgiveness, her own need for forgiveness that was the catalyst for her to be able to love other people well. Yes. And when I think about this question, I think about what Jesus said. And guys, here's the thing. If we want to hold on to unforgiveness, we really are going to have a hard problem with Jesus. Right. Yes, that's true. We just are. Because we see in Scripture when the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, he said, if, you've, if you don't have any sin, cast the first stone. Go ahead. But here's God not casting a stone because forgiveness. And it's so hard. And so we have to just accept that reality. Yeah. Yeah. Forgiveness is not making the person pay for yep. their actions. You know, forgiving a debtor is wiping away. You owed me like thousands of dollars. And it's like, no, you owe me nothing. Forgiving them for their actions is like they don't have to repay you or make it up to you or keep proving mm -hmm. that they love you. It's really wiping the slate clean. Yeah. Okay, let's transition. I want to get through a couple more questions in, in the next 10 minutes, and then we'll go. Okay, so uh, next one. When is a good time to have a family meeting? What is a family meeting? A family What's meeting. A we call family meetings. Okay, so at our house, family meeting is when Dad says, we have a family meeting, and we all say, oh, crap, we made Mom mad. <laughs> that was my experience as yeah. a family meeting. It's like, what would you do? Who's that's, still, was it? that's still our experience still, at our house. Still a family meeting. What do we do? I didn't do it. It wasn't me this time. It was. Okay, so a parent says, hey, we're having a family meeting. Everybody be down in the living room in five minutes, whatever. So a family meeting starts out as a scary moment. It's really just a time for your family to come together intentionally to recalibrate. Yeah. 
the the direction or the tone that's going on in your house. A lot of times, I, and it's funny, like as teenagers, a lot of it was attitude adjustments. Um, hey, we're not dealing with this anymore. We're not putting up with this. You're not going to behave like this in my house. Um, and even as family meetings for us right now, we have little kids. It is our time when we define, hey, this is the behavior we're seeing. We don't want to yep. see this anymore. If this happens, this is what you can expect. It's just a very clear time with no TVs on, no video games. Everyone's eyes are on mom and dad um, of maybe behavior calibration. Is that Now, mom and dad did say this. You have to schedule some fun family meeting so that not everybody is, has that like feeling in their gut like oh you know what right. did we do um but yeah hey family meetings like uh this is vacation like yeah here go ahead that's good all right 30 more seconds we would just we would just plan instead of uh, always being uh, we're in trouble we'd come together and say okay we're going to go on vacation this is the time we're going what would you like to do what do you want it to yeah. look like and then we would talk about it we would begin to research it yeah we would just talk about it and it would get them excited because yeah. we did it as a family and that was the main point we wanted okay question came in how do you get your teen to end a relationship that you don't think is healthy for them without pushing them away well, here's, okay, I'll, I'll speak to this one. I think uh, when you think about the alternative is your silence endorsing a relationship they would be miserable in later in life. And go ahead. No, listen, it was really clear and easy for me. I wasn't letting my daughter get in the car with a 16-year-old hormone machine. And so this was, not, this was not a difficult situation at all. There are hard choices you have to make as parents. Yeah. And, you know, you guys all know that we didn't allow the girls to date. That didn't mean they couldn't be in groups with guys. They went to proms together. Yep. They, they, with guys, they had a, uh, you know, a guy took them to prom in a group and all of those types of things. So my suggestion is that you develop your theology on what that looks like. I do not see dating in the Bible anywhere. And if you can show it to me and, and show me where dating is in the Bible, I'll learn something new. Now, what does dating do? If, you, if your child dates five or six different people, what do you teach them? How to break up. Because those relationships never work out from 13, 14, 15, 16. So what are you setting them up for? Divorce. Because every relationship they've had in the past, they've got out of them in one way, shape, or form. So what's their go-to when they have marital issues? Mm -hmm. they, I got out of those seven relationships. That's what I practiced all my life in. And so I'm gonna get a divorce because that's what I do when relationships don't work out. Now, I know this is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. But you know what? Parenting is not easy. It's not easy. And, and so, you know, all three of our girls found amazing men to marry. And uh, so we're really thankful. Uh, and you of that. also can't make the assumption. And uh, did they not? Uh, they, they didn't always like it. Yeah. So you, you can't you can't always make the assumption that your kids won't be rece receptive to what you're saying. Yeah. And I'm proof of that. Okay, my mom was not in approval of a relationship I was in with 16 years old when I was 16 years old. And she came to me and she had a sit down conversation with me. And I'll never forget what she said because I'm not married to Allison unless this conversation happens. She said this to me. She said, will you want to roll over every single day of the rest of your life looking at this person? Will you be truly happy? And I said, I couldn't answer yes. And I broke off the relationship that night because of my mom's intervention. Okay, so, but here's the other thing, is that, what is it? A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. The timing, it requires prayer beforehand, and it requires the timing to be right. But if you go with it, you don't know if they will be receptive or not. You can't control that. But I'm on the other side of it, being receptive to what, my mom shared with me. And so be mindful of that. And this would be the last thing that I will say on this. My wife came to me in the early 90s and she said, I was listening to Focus on the Family, 
and there was a speaker on there that said you need to start praying for your children's spouses mm -hmm. when they're two, three, four. And when she first said that, I thought, that is so over-religious. <laughs> but then I thought, no, that is not over-religious. That is powerful. And we would do that. We prayed for all of the girls' spouses. And, uh, you know, um, and, you know, we have heard from the husbands at different times that they have said to us, thank you so much. It's incredible that you prayed for us all of those years before you even knew us mm -hmm. and you prayed for us. Yeah. It's a powerful thing. So it's just a different way of, of looking at it. Next question. Okay, two more questions. First one is this. Um, what are some practical ways to bring spiritual life into family life on a weekly basis? Practical ways to bring spiritual life into family life on, the, on a weekly basis. Okay, well, today on our table, table one and table two. Sorry, it's like getting like really like quiet in here. Okay, practical ways is just plan for it, right? Like, hey, we want to have a daily, weekly devotion. Um, sometimes I feel like the daily can feel very like religious and yeah. like, oh no, we missed it and you feel like bad people. You know what, just aim for it and then give yourself grace, right? Like, um, but honestly, for me, I just Googled or whatever, and I have a ton of, like, devotionals for, like, kids. Um, this one is called Theology, Love like Theology, but Theology. And this one is a story of a, a boy and a girl, and they find a secret treasure, and they get to learn all about it. It literally is just going through who God is, what is yeah. the um, trinity, you know, yeah. how are they three in one, blah, blah, blah. But all I did was like, hey, let me get a book and then just schedule a time to go through it. You know, sometimes it's at breakfast, sometimes it's at night, and it's different every day, right? But I think that's just a practical, just plan for it. Grab a book. These are tons of family devotionals. Um, feel free to come and look. That table over there, Miss Tammy, Pastor Tammy, got from the Resource Center. Mm -hmm. Those ones you can check out. Um, these ones are mine and books are life. So if you take one of my books, I'm coming after you. But no, I'm just kidding. These ones are like, just look at it, maybe get ideas, um, and then take a picture of it if you would like to get it or not. I think another thing is just have worship music playing on in the yeah. background of your house. You know, just let it, let it play in the house, you know. Um, pray about everything. You know, pray at dinner. You know, pray, uh, you know, we, we pray at dinner. We pray, the kids go th around praying at dinner. Uh, we pray before we go on a vacation, you know, for God's protection. We pray at bedtime. Pray, you know, pray about everything. And these are, a lot of this answer to this question is, is getting into starting new habits that may not be there, you know. Um, you want to add? Yeah, the Bible is clear that it's the parents' job to disciple their children. You can read in Deuteronomy, I mean, they're, they're doing it morning, morning, evening, and afternoon. It, it clearly spells it out. But the problem that most parents don't get is that your kids are going to be discipled. They're going to be discipled at school. They're going to be discipled with the friends they hang out with, the kids they play with in the neighborhood. Somebody is always going to be discipling your child. Yeah. And so what kind of disciple do you want your child to be? Right. And so parents need to embrace the idea that if I want my kid to look more like Christ than they do the world, then, then there's, I need to invest time, number one. There's all kind of resources. Mm -hmm. And you don't burden yourself or your kids with, you, they have to be in the Bible 40 hours a week. That's not it. It's intentional time showing them, you know, various things out of the word that help build character. Okay. Can I just yes. tag on that? Yep. From the perspective of also thinking about what you can do, God is everywhere all the time. Jesus, everything the Bible tells us is created by him. So everything around you, whether you're driving on the freeway, the weather, the sky, the bugs, the critters, wherever you're at, on vacation, whatever, if you see and acknowledge Christ, then you share that with your kids. And you ask questions like, did you ever think what would be like if the sky was like not purple or red? What if it was like polka dot? You know, and just begin conversations with your kids mm -hmm. that Jesus is in everything and everything we do. Yeah. Okay, last question. When to talk about sex with your kids? 
when we talk about sex with your kids. And the, another question that was submitted is how to talk to your kids about LGBT things as well, since those are so prevalent right now. Um, I think that there are age-appropriate conversations that you can have um, to initially have conversations about all of these things, yeah. but I think, honestly, you need to start sooner than you think. Um, I was a middle school teacher, actually, yeah, I was a middle school teacher, um, and I remember coming across kids in third grade that I am pretty sure uh, knew exact 100% what sex was all about, third grade. And so um, your kids are exposed to things earlier than you think they are, and as a result, that's why we talked last week about being the law of first mention, is that if you can have conversations that are age-appropriate uh, you are establishing a foundation, a healthy foundation, a biblical foundation of what these things are to be able to build on that can combat what they are hearing and what they are learning from other people. So, I, I, It really starts when they're young just defining what a man and a woman are. Mm -hmm. um, just defining like a man is in a marriage and a woman is in a marriage, but you know the body parts that a man has and the body parts that a woman has at a very age appropriate. Um, I could kick myself because I have another resource at home that um, is literally books written from a biblical worldview that you read from like three to five, and it talks about God. God was excited because he made you a boy. God was excited because he made you a girl, you know, and talking about how, like, moms and dads get married and, you know, have the babies. But then it, it goes uh, from three years old all the way up to, like, 18 on mm -hmm. how to have the hard conversations. What does, mas you know, what is God's view on masturbation and all these things that, like, sometimes the church wants to maybe not talk about because it can be awkward. But, um, yeah, I was going to say, like, the sooner the better. And an always answer the question that the kids are asking, because if they're not getting it from you, they will get it from somebody well, else. Well, and here's the other thing. The, the other reality is that, um, as you said, they'll find out the answer somewhere else. This is going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable, okay? I recognize that, but what type of environment do you want to create? Do you want to create a place of safety where your kids are comfortable asking you questions mm -hmm. and getting your answers, or do you want to create an environment where it's like, well, I could never talk to mom and dad about that? Yeah, and it's not just like a one-time conversation. Absolutely. It's, like it's, it's ongoing, time. you know. And, I, you know, we've, we've had conversations with the kids, you know, uh, uh, about different phases of, of sex and things like that, and, you know, that have been age-appropriate already because we're trying to build that foundation. I'm going to touch on the LBGQ issue right now. Um, you know, there was a lot of conversation. We even had it at night on one of our Nation to Nation classes. We spent about 30 minutes in our Bible class over the idea of if somebody, if a man presents himself as a female, is it disrespectful to still say he and, and him? Uh, let me just share a, a, a really critical fact. God did not create a pronoun. He created a person. And if you demean the person of who somebody is with a pronoun, you're, that is one of the greatest lies that you can tell somebody. You don't have to be in a confrontational situation with anybody LBGQ, but you don't have to be a part of the lie either. Mm -hmm. You know, the Bible says in, in John chapter 8 and verse 32, it's truth that sets people free, not lies that set people free. Now, you know, the, here's the other thing. You know, a, a lot of times Christians can get backed into a corner as we are mean and disrespectful and hateful. And it's like, I'm sorry, please take me out of that category because I know uh, people, uh, you know, who are, have been or still are uh, homosexual and it's in my family. But you know what? I don't back away from it. And, and what captivates people's heart is how you love them right. not how you correct them right. listen if a lady is a prostitute you don't have to go up to her and say you whore you harlot right. she already knows right. she's not happy with that right and so why do you go after 
the, who sh- that the sin that she exhibits, and why not go after the part that God created, the mm-hmm. great person that's inside of there? People are looking to be loved, and they want to be loved. And so it's not our job's job to judge people. It's our job to love them. Then the Holy Spirit does the rest of the work. But this is a topic that is being jammed down the throats of five, six, seven, and eight-year-old kids. And you have got to stop the misinformation. You have got to make clear, like Allison said, there is a male and in, and go to the Bible. In the beginning, God created male and female. That's the law of first mention. That's right. It's the law of first mention. And when that is in the, in the word like that, the law of first mention is how that God intends it to be from that time forward. I, I want to go not to go off of this, because we can come back to it for a minute, but I do want to go back to the sex conversations. One of the reasons why you need to have these conversations with your kids is because you need to remove the shame that can be associated with that topic because you're silent about it. And then they grow up with this understanding that sex is something shameful. It's not something shameful because God created it. So you having the conversations about it, part of the purpose is to remove the shame that could come with this being the secret thing that nobody talks about. You need to, that should not be the ideology that your kids grow up with about the topic of sex. I agree. I agree. So. Or the misinformation about, you know, somebody's sexuality. God right. does not make mistakes. Right. He just doesn't. And I know a lot of people don't want to hear this. I got it. I get it. But it's the truth that we have to rely on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last thing that I'm going to talk about is, is that because it's important, uh, there was a question that was brought up about pornography and, and marriage. Mm-hmm. First of all, listen, uh, you know, when, when you're married to your spouse, that's the only person you want in your bed. Right. You, you, and mm-hmm. when you're indulging in pornography, you're bringing a third party into your bedroom, And first of all. And second of all, men, if you have an issue with pornography, we need to talk. It, right. we, need to, we need to work on that. Yeah. Because the more pornography you watch is the more degraded your spouse is. Right. Your spouse feels degraded when you are trying to compare her to something that's a fantasy. Right. Or when, yes, the, the, the largest sector of pornography viewers are females right now. So this isn't a men-only subject. Mm-hmm. But guys, girls, you know, number one, men, I'm just going to say this to you. If you're watching pornography, the girl you're watching is somebody's daughter. Mm-hmm. And you're dishonoring her father. You're dishonoring her. You're dishonoring God the Father when you're watching somebody else in a pornography situation. Yep. And you've got to get that, you've got to get that down. I have three daughters, and so I see this maybe a whole lot differently than other people do. But it, th- when you're watching pornography, that's somebody's daughter. Mm-hmm. That's some girl that's broken. That's some girl that should not be in that situation. And she remains in that situation because people, people keep buying this pornographic material. And more often than not, they are a part of human trafficking. Uh, Yeah, and so you gotta think of the big picture. Mm -hmm. And number one, you're rotting yourself from the inside out. Mm -hmm. You really are. Yeah. You really are. Yeah. And so, but you know what? God can forgive that. Mm -hmm. He can help you move forward. I know hundreds of men who have overcome pornography addictions. Mm -hmm. And I am open to sit and talk and we can share about that. How do we move forward from uh, pornography addictions? Mm-hmm. Because it really is, it's, it, it's, a, it's a super uh, demeaning situation to the women in your life. Yeah. And so you really need to deal with that. Yeah, and, and ladies, you can call Tammy and talk to her. You can talk to me, we, really, let's, let's just be open. Anybody yeah. up here? 
we can talk about that. But you know what? That's like one of those elephants in the room, and uh, we just let the elephant loose today. Right. And so if you've got an issue, we want to talk about it. But you, that's, you know, and victory for us to be set free and we know we've all walked in freedom we want you if you're in a situation we want to see you have victory and get freedom and we're that's not right. going to be a church that doesn't talk about stuff like i know this. i'm sorry that's why that... we're that's why we're having the conversations that we're having exactly so. and if and shame on the church right for not having these conversations yeah okay we're not perfect we're trying to do the best we can yeah so and we're really excited. You know that that time in that 21-day prayer and fasting time, that's the time, you know, the Bible says some of these things only come out, come out by prayer and fasting. And sometimes like a pornography addiction is right. one of those things that, you know, you gotta you gotta pray and fast over that to kick that that situation yeah. out of your life. Yep. So Yeah, but I want to say shame off you that if you come up and talk to us, listen, you are not less of a person and we're not better than you. Yeah. Take the shame off of you because yeah. we all have gone through something or have walked yeah. through something or have fought through an addiction or, you know, like a problem. And shame off you. Do not feel ashamed to come right. and talk to us about it at all. Because the cost to Jesus... The, the cost to Jesus was the same. Yep. It didn't matter if it was a little white lie or murder or whatever it is, it cost him the same. And that's how he looks at yeah. it. And I want to just, us the same. yes, he does. I want to set this last comment up because this is important. You know, this whole idea, do you get your kids a phone? Do you don't get your kids a phone? You know, I, uh, it doesn't matter where you land on it, but if you're getting your kids smartphones at 10, 11, 12, 13, and you're not with them 24 hours a day, they that's have not full smart. access to, what's that? <laughs> I said, if you're getting them a smartphone and you're not with them, that's not smart. <laughs> that's not smart, but we have a solution for that. Pastor Rick, tell them about the solution. Yeah. I just found out about this because I heard somebody that went to a women's conference and they were talking about this Gabby phone. And there are reasons. It's called Gab, right? Gab. Gab, Gab Wireless. Yeah, Gab Wireless, I think. Yep. And basically, it's, it's a phone that lets kids make phone calls. And there are reasons if your kids get home from school before you get home from work and that you, and you can be in contact. If, they, if they need mom to, or dad to come and get them, they got a phone. But they do not have access to internet. the Internet in the sense of going places they right. shouldn't go. I saw a picture. It looks like they have some games and stuff on it, yep. which, okay, great. But they're not on the Internet. But in essence, if you give a 10-year-old or 11-year-old, 12 or 13, you know, a porn pad, right. if they don't know about it, right. the neighborhood kids are going to show it to them. Yeah. And, you know, kids are tricky. They'll, they'll show them how to get rid of the evidence before you go home. I mean, right. they'll show you that. You don't have to be going somewhere bad. It just pops up. Right. It's like, yeah. Lord, you know, because you weren't even, I mean, you know, right. you're Googling something else and something else shows right. up. Seriously. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just want to say, if you want to look at these books and check them out, Doreen, could you go into the media center after church and they'll take the book to you to check it out? Because we have a media center. You don't have to go buy the books. Yeah. You can check them out as long as you want, as long as you return them. We want you to read. And if you have a situation or a topic that's not up there, ask us because yeah. we, didn't we'll even, we didn't even dent the books that we yeah. have still at home. So we just want to avail that to yeah. you um, as a tool. Uh, thank you so much for allowing us to have these conversations. Yeah. Thank you for the questions that you submitted. Like I, I said before, we don't want any topic to be off limits here. We want to be able to have conversations about these, whether it be personally or up here, you know, uh, talking about them behind the pulpit. And there were questions we weren't able to get to, but we don't want to belabor and push things. It's 1157. But we've spent five weeks, I think six weeks now, on marriage and parenting. I really hope that you guys have been able to take away some stuff. Will you just stand with me as we close in prayer? God, we thank you for uh, what your word has to say about topics that are so relevant and fitting for our lives. 
And so, God, we thank you what your word says about marriage. We thank you what your word says about parenting. And God, even as Proverbs says, I pray that the truths that have been discussed today and the truths that have been discussed over the past several weeks would find their ways from our head to our hearts, that they would be things we would bind around our neck. And God, that we would be able to live out our, our home lives with these truths in mind. God, I thank you, Lord, that would we sit through times like this over the past several weeks, God, that we don't have to remember everything because your Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance everything that has been spoken in the times that it fits well. So God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would partner with what has been shared. And God, as we are walking out our lives and our homes as, as moms and dads, husbands and wives, that you would bring to remembrance in the moments when we need it the most, the truths of your word that fit our situations and circumstances. And God, not only that, but we thank you that you give us the grace to carry it out. You give us the grace to walk in a way that is honorable as husbands and wives, uh, moms and dads. So we just embrace that grace this morning. We thank you for this body, for the questions that were submitted, for people that want to be discipled and learn what your word says about every topic that is fitting for us. We just bless you. We honor you. We thank you for today, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.